To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Well, I got a new Eastman's Elevated for you today. Um, this is a recording I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to release, so I'm happy I am. It's uh, with Brian Martin of Asian Mountain Outfitting. And the reason I wasn't going to be able to release it is Brian Martin is not exactly PC. Um, the guy is entertaining as all get out. Uh, so we just got him on the recording and, and uh, hit play and got going. Um, he's just got some hilarious analogies. But it, it's not a podcast for sensitive ears, but... You know, this is also how some guys talk and communicate and, uh, you know, I, uh, a swear word here or there or an, an al- a grown-up analogy just doesn't really bother me too much. So he had me and Dan Picard rolling on the podcast. So Dan Picard sits in on this one too. Uh, Guy Eastman, I didn't get a microphone on him, but he sat by and listened and laughed the whole time. So um, it's just some grown-up content, so uh, make sure your kids aren't in the car and, and uh, listen to it and enjoy. So Brian Martin, he runs Asian Mountain Outfitting, and the reason I wanted to have him on the podcast, Guy Eastman and Dan Bacar, they just talk. Uh, they they talk about this guy, how um, he, he just does the most extreme adventures. Like, he found all the sheep hunts in North America and then started moving around the world. And, like, Tajikistan, just the locals and the danger of being in there and then the high elevation in these hunts, um, these things are extremely dangerous. And the more sketchy it gets, the more Brian enjoys the hunt. <laughs> so that's what uh, Guy and Dan kept saying is this guy can just push the limits. This guy is a machine in the mountains and high elevation, sketchy situations. And so I just wanted to get him on the podcast to have a conversation. I, you know, I didn't know that, uh, he's practically a stand-up comedian with, uh, he's just so entertaining to talk to. He's got all these analogies worked out and he's extremely intelligent. And so we just wanted to dive into hunting around the world for some of these sheep and and ibex and goats and things and uh just get a feeling of 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 what the adventure's like and so um it was a really fun conversation for me Uh, i know dan had fun it's an hilarious conversation again um you know if you have sensitive ears that this might not be the podcast for you but uh there's nothing too offensive in it um so I, th- I think it'll be fine. I think you guys are all grown-ups and can handle it. So um, anyways, Brian Martin, yeah, um, Eastman's Elevated. Let's see, uh, sponsor for today's show. Um, so IOTA, uh, they make scope rings and mounts. Um, they're a new sponsor to the podcast, but the guys over there at Eastman's have been using them for years. Um, I went and checked out some of their products. So they've just got scopes and, and rings, scope mounts and rings that you can trust. They've also, I think, which is really great, is on their mount or you can get it separately. They have an anti-cant uh, level bubble on there. I think that's so important when shooting your rifle. And, and to make it to where it's built into the to the scope rings or, you know, you can add it. Um, two-year scope, but just being level makes such a difference for some of those longer shots and even the closer ones to be exact. Um, so yeah, I just think that's a really cool deal. They're a great company. Make sure to check them out. IOTA. Oh, they also make um, stocks. They make some really cool custom-made stocks. Um, I was checking those out with some. Um, so they're they're a composite stock. Uh, they got some great camo patterns on them. Uh, make sure to check those out as well. And I'll do a little research, see if any of the Eastman's guys have uh, tried out their stocks. And if not, we'll get some in and, and get them tried. But uh, yeah, just a great company, and we sure appreciate their support. So IOTA. With that, over there at Eastman's, uh, we've got those uh, three Beyond the Grid uh, releasing here. Gosh dang it, are they good episodes. So the ones, Dan Picard's helicopter episode where he helicopters into some remote public ground and then hunts and hunts for, he's hunting for bulls out there. And Dan just lives and dies to hunt for elk. It's an early hunt. Uh, I believe it's in August. Uh, but just great videography. Some of the content that we're putting out is so next level right now. I, I just think we're putting out some great content, capturing some great hunts, and I'm I'm really proud to be part of the Eastman's team. But we have that one out. 
uh, Scott Reeker's backcountry mule deer that he he just shot a a heck of a tall deep fork mule deer and he went in with Ike. They took llamas, videoed the entire hunt and captured. It's just a great hunt. Um, that's a super episode. And then um, Dan hunts with his dad and his dad drew a, drew a premium Montana elk ta- elk tag. Elks. Where did I get that? Drew a premium elk tag and it's in the breaks and uh, they go after a giant bull. Um, so that's a great episode. So three great ones that are they're out or dropping soon. Um, so make sure to be on the lookout for those. That's our Beyond the Grid. That's our our internet um, our our internet show that we put out on YouTube. You can find it through Eastman's or through Beyond the Grid. Um, but the guys are just the guys and gals that that put this together are just doing a great job. They're really entertaining episodes, and I I love this platform over the internet where you don't have to stop for commercial breaks or um, you're you're just able to express yourself and tell the story in a different way. And uh, I'm really enjoying watching these. So Beyond the Grid, make sure to check that out. And, um, boy, what else do we have going on? Just some good recordings coming up on the podcast. Super excited for that. I'm trying to get everything ready so I can take off to New Zealand, go hunt the Southern Alps for tar, and and, uh, hopefully going to hunt some red deer on some public ground. Man, I just can't wait. This is going to be an awesome experience. So I'm just trying to get all my ducks in a row, make sure that we've got podcasts being ready to be released to you guys. I'm going to record some when I'm down there. And I also am going to get out a uh, Mike Eastman's uh, Around the Campfire. Be on the lookout for that. I'm going to get it ready to release today. It's a great mule deer story. You guys will really enjoy it. And then I want to start doing more of these kind of Around the Campfire. You know, I'd like to record some when I come back from a hunt, which a lot of times is what I do on a on a podcast. And I love having buddies on there. But I'd love to get on there and tell the story of New Zealand, you know, on an episode when I finish up. So I'd like to do more of that. And uh, yeah, just some good things um, in the works here. I got uh, that Nevada hunt I did. Um, I guess it's the episode is put together. I haven't been able to see it yet. I'm not sure when it's going to release, uh, but I just can't wait to see it. Um, I think we got some next level videography and um, told the story really well. And so I just can't wait to see it. Um, so yeah, be on the lookout for that. That's going to be on the outdoor channel. And um yeah, with that, man, I think that's everything we got going on here. Some good articles coming out. Gosh, I just wrote a really good one about the intangibles of, of uh, is it backcountry bow hunting or no, the intangibles of um, of uh, off season, how to work on your skills and different mindsets. It, it's a really good article. I'm really proud of it. It reads really well, and it just talks about all the intangibles that that really aren't discussed or written about or or even thought about. You know, through this podcast and being able to compare notes with so many successful hunters, I, I'm just able to get a good grasp on on these common traits that we all have, and then able to write about it. So that'll be coming up in the next Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. I just turned it in now, so it's a month behind. So. See if I can do the math here, right? And so um, we're just coming into April now. So, yeah, that'll be released May 1st. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And, uh, gosh, yeah, um, it's fun. This is a fun, entertaining podcast. So enjoy it, guys. It's Brian Martin, Asian Mountain Outfittings. Dan Picard sits in. And uh, me, your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, we're here at the Western Expo. Um, we're lucky enough to corral Brian Martin. Um, so he was the outfitter for the Tajikistan hunt for Guy Eastman and Dan Picard, and um, a, a true character. But thanks, Brian, for taking a break from the oh, from welcome. the booth and coming on the podcast. We sure appreciate it's it. It's always fun to go to a new booth. You get tired of your scenery at yours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Give you a little break. It's been crazy today. It has been pretty busy. This is a busy day, though. But most yeah. of the strollers don't stop by our booth. We don't have enough candy or uh, or. <laughs> A bling in our booth. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Give a, a brief background on uh, Asian Mountain Outfitters, and just so Please. people that don't know, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so Asian Mountain Outfitters is a company that I started years ago when I was in Canada doing uh, Canadian Mountain Outfitters. It just seemed easy to make Asian Mountain Outfitters easy to spell CMO and AMO. Um, I started in 2002. My first trip, I had a hunter from Texas. We became good friends. And uh, we went over in March. And then the next trip I did was actually Jim Shockey in 2003. Same type of thing, both um, mid-Asian Ibex and, and uh, Marco Polo in Kyrgyzstan. 
And then this, so I've been doing Central Asia for, I don't know, 16, 17 years. And then started British Columbia in 1999. Um, kind of phase out of British Columbia, I just do bighorns now. Um, but my main thing is Central Asia, Russia, Mongolia. And Central Asia is between Russia and China. It's all the stand countries, which is the former uh, USSR. Uh, beautiful country. Uh, it's north of the Himalayas, uh, Tian Shan Mountains, Premier Mountains, high elevation, cold, dry. I mean, the nearest climate we have in the U.S. would be probably parts of Nevada, parts of southern Colorado and Utah, parts of Wyoming, but relatively low, low precip. And like where we hunted with Dan and Guy was right along the Afghanistan border, mm -hmm. a 20-hour drive from uh, the town of Dushan Bay. Um, so I, work, I, have a, I have partners in each of these countries, and our partner over there is an excellent guy. I've <coughs> been working with him since about 2000. First time I met him was 2007, mm -hmm. so over 10 years now. And we just take two, usually two hunters at a time. In this case, I think we had three in our camp, but, um, <coughs> but normally we do two groups of two or two groups of one each, depending on how they're set up. And we go hunting for eight to 10 days until we find the Marco Polo and Ibex we have. And then a uh, you know, long drive and ro long flight home. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's great. It's um, true mountain hunting, no trees and no bush. <laughs> I mean, there's no trees for miles. Mm -hmm high and cold and if you can spot if you can hike you don't get sick and you can shoot and if you bring lots of butt wipes if you get diarrhea you're good to go <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. you always get diarrhea over there yeah you do oh. we were all sick coming home as part of the deal everybody yeah. is yeah. Huh? and i don't know if it's the water the high altitude the food probably a combination of things okay so yeah yeah a yeah. true adventure hunt yeah, yeah halfway adventure. across the world More, as much time traveling as you do hunting yes. do you mm -hmm. yeah just trying to get there Yep. Five and days to get home for and us. And then the hunt yeah. sounds pretty extreme, too. It sounds like you have a couple versions of hunts that you do, but it sounds like the one that, that you had Guy and Dan on. Like, it's a true backpacking hunt where you got to climb those mountains day in, day out. Yeah, usually we do hard day hunts. But in November and December, we do hard day hunts. Yep. Park the Jeep, go fairly light, but you still got to take water and food and spotting scopes and optics and a gun and game bag. So it's not like you're light, light. But usually the locals pack most of the weight. Sometimes the hunter doesn't pack anything if he's an older gentleman or somebody who's just not acclimatized well. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, in our case, we got in this ram, and, and Guy had got a shot at it, and um, it was a difficult shot. Um, shot sh he sh he, the ram was starting to walk as he shot, and it went right over its back as he was walking downhill. And then from there, the ram kept pushing back, and we almost got on him again that night. Um, probably could have shot him with, with, with um, one of my custom guns for long range, but it wasn't a good shot for video low. It was windy. It was bad lighting. It was been late at night, and uh, we backed off. And then <laughs> the a animals went the next mountain over, and we lo relocated them finally. Um, and it wasn't until the fifth day that we got on that group of rams again. Mm -hmm. So it was a hard hunt. We ended up spiking out for a couple nights. It was just too much f distance to travel back and forth without spiking out. Mm -hmm. If we hadn't spiked out, it would have been... It, it was almost impossible to get to him. Okay. And when you talk high elevation hunts, um, you're not talking 12,000, 13,000 foot like I hunt in Colorado. 16,000 feet up yeah, there. Yeah, we actually, the highest we went to was just around 16,5 to get up on the animal. Wow. And uh, we were sleeping in the 14, I think 14,2 or 14,4 was where we stayed the night at the shepherd's camp. I don't like staying in the shepherd's camp. Too many people, not enough room. And it's, you're sleeping on crap and everything. Did you sleep outside shot. or something, oh, yeah. I think they said? No, I have a tent that I sleep in. I prefer that. Mm -hmm. But I have like a minus 25, minus 30 sleeping bag. Mm -hmm. And it was minus 13 or 14, which is, that's no problem. That's easy. Where it gets bad is when you have a zero degree bag and it's minus 13, then it's oh, bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's bad. But you always want about 10 degrees warmer bag than what the conditions are going to be. That's the truth. That's and the same rules I live by. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're and if you got if you want to sleep in your park or something, maybe five degrees, mm -hmm. but never the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If it's going to be zero, always have a minus 10. Mm -hmm. If yeah. it might be minus 15, take a minus 20 or minus 25. Easy rule. Mm -hmm. that, that way, that elevation too takes take such a toll on your body. Too. It does. You get used to it, though. I mean, it does. Do you? It, it does take a toll. But it, I th they say the death zone is over 19 or 20,000 feet. So you're not yep. technically dying there. No. You just feel like you're dying. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to lose yeah. weight. It's the best way to lose weight: go high, cold, 
and hard hiking. Oh, I bet. Combine that with diarrhea and lack of eating, you'll lose weight. Lose <laughs> <laughs> 40 pounds in 10 days. Exactly. Yeah, I bet. I, I need to go imagine. over there for two months, and I'll get rid of my dick do disease. <laughs> you know what the dick do disease is, right? No, no. It's when your belly sticks out further than your dick do. <laughs> I have to, if I get any, if, if I don't quit losing, if I don't start losing more weight, I'll have to get an erection to take a leak. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what does what's your weight fluctuate from off season to oh, off it used to when i was normally do the northern british columbia when i had more of a normal lifestyle yeah um you know you go to the mountains in june for a little bit come back out go back in early july and maybe i would be 200 205 and then i'd finish the season at 180 maybe the lowest i was wow. ever was 177 wow. wow and then usually come out about 185 and that was like, so you're like a, a skinny grizzly bear. <laughs> and then you come out like a hound dog, like nuts and ribs. <laughs> now I go in like about a two, about a five month old pregnant sow. <laughs> come out like an old grizzly bear that's still, you know. No, but I mean, I had a couple injuries. Once in 2012, I had, I always would tape my ankles for, um, uh, just, I had loose ankles. And there wasn't a good boot out there that I could wear that would, protect my ankles so i would just tape them and i got really bad achilles tendonitis in 2012 and the doctor said just don't do anything really you know just (laughs) i mean so you couldn't squat couldn't deadlift couldn't do any even cycling and stuff hurt wow so i just kind of got lazy for probably three to six months and that was an instant 20 pounds during show season Mm because i stopped doing stuff like in december um and then you know i kind of had a little bit of fluctuation then i snapped my acl on a freak accident just cutting some trees on the side of a mountain stepped in a hole in the grass i didn't see thought i was planting on solid ground slipped and went about two feet down with the chainsaw on my hand so i couldn't catch myself mm. and just snapped my knee and then i had to do that was mid-august and i had to do i think i did 11 sheep hunts from there <laughs> until december i landed i think december the 6th and my operation was december the 7th that was that year that we went yeah I, I had, that was right the day after. i landed within 12 hours of landing i was uh it's seeing the dock. Yep. My flight was delayed. So I slept like five, six hours. We drove four or five hours, got checked in and everything, and uh, had my surgery. So That is wild, Brian. So what do you do like when you're in that much pain? It's got to be so every single wasn't step. That, no, it wasn't that much no, pain. Just stability? When you actually, yeah, when you snap your ACL, it's really bad pain. Mm-hmm. And then after about a week, it's not that bad, mm-hmm. but it's really unstable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your muscles have to learn adjust. And that wasn't like I could do physical therapy. My physical therapy was... Uh, driving to town, getting some anti-inflammatories, which I already had some, seeing the doctor, they didn't tell me anything I didn't already know, <laughs> and going back and getting a walk, hobbling around with a walking stick, spotting for the bighorn. And then on September the um, 1st or 2nd, I was back backpacking a little bit, which was awkward, mm-hmm. horses and backpack. And then yeah. that was the last time we did of the year. So my, by then, my knee was more used to it, but it was really bad going downhill, mm-hmm. especially in the dark with snow with a pack on. Yeah. You know, so carrying like 80, 90, 100 pounds was not well advised, but I did. But, I mean, I could have dislocated my knee, but luckily I didn't because mm-hmm. I didn't have a knee brace because I couldn't get a custom one, and the knee braces you buy don't fit me very good, mm-hmm. and they're not, they're not strong enough to keep you from dislocating your knee. Mm-hmm. So the main thing is always keep it bent. Don't, t- don't do anything too stupid, and uh, go slow. <laughs> don't do anything yep. too stupid, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hunting big Marco Polo is not stupid. It's a necessary evil. <laughs> <laughs> too stupid would be like, like I don't know, trying to go dancing while you're drunk or something like that. <laughs> yep. That's, That's way more dangerous, dangerous there. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> way more dangerous. Trying to go flip some cheerleader over your head or something. You know? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> or, or jello wrestling or something, you know? <laughs> just normal off-season events for exactly. Brian Martin. <laughs> Man, it's, it's just so remote over there. And you're probably used to it by now but the, yeah. there's just the, there's not much of a safety net there not really i mean we have global rescue or you know ripcord or those kind of things okay. but even if you got hurt over there a lot of those companies don't really have there's not really choppers in that area so you're kind of screwed to a certain extent yeah. if you got hurt really bad mm-hmm. it's not like if you get hurt in canada or alaska there's always going to be a chopper within two hours mm-hmm. yeah, yeah over there there's with a jeep you know <laughs> if you can get to a jeep you might get out might be screaming the whole way but uh, <laughs> yeah. take that's why you always take a little bit of the your um your your percocets or your oxycodone or those kind of things okay uh, as an emergency. Yeah. Um, yep. and, and you got to be prepared to take care of all your clients as well while no, you're out there. No, I mean, I can only take care of so much. They still need to bring their own prescription meds and stuff. Okay. You know, I mean, 
But, I mean, so far, knock on wood, everybody's done pretty lucky. Nobody's got drugged by a horse or ran over by a Jeep or anything yet. I did get in a car wreck once in Kyrgyzstan, but we had seatbelt on and just got shook up. But other than that, I mean, I've, a lot of guys have fallen off of horses. Mm-hmm. Nobody got ran over a drug, though. I think one guy separated his shoulder, but that's about the worst we've had. But nobody that had to leave early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is pretty amazing, really. That's yeah. really amazing. A few amazing. guys had minor frost nip on their fingers, but nobody lost any toes or fingernails or anything like that. That's amazing with that kind of temperatures and, and yeah, sometimes it's just lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but going prepared too helps. Yeah, yeah. For but usually, sure. like my knee accident, you would think I would have heard it running down the hill, you know, going after sheep and everything. No, I was just st- t- taking a normal step on a steep hillside and didn't see the hole and s- snap. Seems Man. like that's how it always happens. It's something silly like that. It just happens so yeah. quick. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I know a few guys that that's exactly how it's happened. Just everyday life stuff. I was thinking of, like, kicking out my bed at night, and I you kicking sideways or something to clear a rock, and if you caught your foot kicking sideways, okay. boy, you can mess up your knee. But I always think about that in the mountains. Oh, I thought you meant kicking your bed at home. <laughs> 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 you just don't do it barefoot when you're in the mountains. You wear good boots. Yeah, yeah exactly. well, and kick forward, not sideways. Oh, yeah, Not exactly. the side of your foot, the yeah. front of your foot when you're oh, kicking yeah. out that stuff. No, that, I never had that happen, but, I mean, it could happen. But I've kicked out a lot of beds in the dark, in the, making a grizzly bear bed on the side of a mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh absolutely. Yeah. They got to be tough to make a bed on the side of the mountain up there. A lot of rocks. Yeah, but they usually don't. They usually go into the trees and sleep. They, don't, I mean, they'll sometimes sleep out in the open, or they usually sleep underneath a, some type of a bush or tree. Okay, a lot yeah. like a person. If it's hot, windy, and cold, they're not going to sleep out in the open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially the big bruins. Yeah. You get lazy and and uh, like they're pretty particular what they like to do. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, well, what a true adventure going up there. And, Dan, you got yeah. to experience up there. Um, that country is so vast, huh, compared to, like, a lot of the places you've hunted? Yeah, one of the guys was asking about the show the other day, and he's like, so what was the country like over there? And I was like, it's the the biggest, most open country I've ever seen. What is this? It, well, there's a, there's a book that Bob Anderson wrote, Robert Anderson. He wrote a lot of great Rams books, and he wrote one called Wind, Dust, and Snow. And uh, it's like Great Rams of Asia. And that's exactly what it is, wind, dust, and snow. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. High altitude, see as far as you can. We're in the Wahang Corridor looking south. I think some of the mountain ranges are the Hindu Kush and different, you know, I, it, just big. Yeah. You get yeah. up and as far as you can see, there's no smokestacks. There's, no, uh, there's no lights if you want to watch the northern lights and the, uh, um, y- you know, the, the Milky Way. It's a really easy place to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the stars are five miles closer to you exactly <laughs> not that exactly. much closer but it seems like you're that much closer to the stars yeah. i bet it's impressive yeah yeah Huge country yeah but then you get then you, you get the yak dung and sheep dung shit and uh, that they burn for the f- wood so then you realize you're on civilization <laughs> but yeah it's um and they use coal sometimes there's no wood there they bring a little bit of wood from town to start fires okay but they just burn like animal uh hard dried animal dung really yeah, it burns pretty good huh and burn it in yeah, a little burns, stove it or burns something, it or? burns better than uh nothing yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just you didn't see okay. a tree for ten days. You know, there's no trees. It's a little bush. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of that stuff's overgrazed by yaks and sheep in the off season. So yep. there's not a lot of vegetation there. People okay. always ask what they eat. They just eat short grass. Man, it looks pretty barren. It when is. You barren. guys are yeah. hunting it. It's like moonscape with mountains. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. amazes me those rams can make a living out there. And so that's, I guess, another good question. So what's the population like now? And they, like every basin, the popu- there was a dead ram in it. Like they the say horns. the population in Tajikistan is around 25,000 sheep. Wow. That's it's amazing. It, that's about, I'm sure, I guarantee it's more than 15,000, and it's probably not more than 30. So that probably that 20 to 25 would be a realistic number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And they that's don't give that many permits. They give 80 to 100 permits a year mm-hmm. in that country. So it's underhunted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you the um, only outfitter in your area? In that area, we're the only ones, but over the hill, there's some. And then the Hot Springs Camp, which is really famous, is east of us. Mm-hmm. And then Erie Madison's Camp up by Caracol Lake is famous, and they're north north of us between us and Kyrgyzstan. Mm-hmm. And those are the main. Um, there's a couple smaller camps that take a few hunters. You know, our camp takes, we can take like 12 to 14 total mm-hmm. in the course of a year. The Hot Springs would probably take over half to two-thirds of the hunters. They would okay. take probably at least 40 to 50-something. Wow. And then the other ones would be up north. But that's r- roughly 80 to 100. You hear different things, but roughly like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a true mountain hunt. It is. It's, and, it's, and you're it used is, to it. It's it, a true mountain yeah. hunt, but there's there's a lot of places where like, they, a lot of hunters that go Marco Polo hunting really probably shouldn't be Marco Polo hunting. They're not trained for it. 
Uh, they're not in physical condition. They're not mentally prepared. And a lot of them actually end up shooting the Marco Polo close to the Jeep or from the Jeeps mm -hmm. in some of the camps just because if they would have had to go on foot for five to ten miles, they wouldn't be able to do it. Mm -hmm. It's too high elevation, too, too hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you say it's the most extreme rugged hunt that you would offer? Mm, no. Uh, blue sheep hunting is more difficult. Tour hunting is more difficult as far as per day because of the steepness and the danger of falling off the mountain. You're not going to fall off a mountain on a Marco Polo hunt. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not treacherous. You don't have to wear ever crampons or anything like that. It's mainly the altitude, the long-range shooting, the cold. But I, I, to me, I don't really consider it difficult because I've done it so many times. Yeah. It's just you're just short on breath and what would normally be fairly easy feat. Um, it would be, it's, it's quite difficult. So the blue sheep and the, the tur, they live in extreme country. The more, yeah. Blue sheep is high elevation, and it can be steep and nasty, and the tar also. And then all your tur in Russia and, and, and Azerbaijan, there's three different species of tur. And the Caucasus Mountains, and those are none of those hunts are easy. Oh, those Caucasus I mean, Mountains look rugged. I, I think I've had some really near-death experiences mountain goat hunting. Um, in British Columbia, where if you fall, you die. I've had tar hunting in New Zealand. It's super dangerous on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Over by Fox Glacier, super dangerous stuff. Mm -hmm. Where you you backpack for three, four days, and, and you wet, slick grass slipping down the mountain. Uh, Bajor, Ibex, and Turkey, and the bad stuff is really dangerous. Mm -hmm. I've had some stone sheep hunts that were somewhat dangerous, but in general, not as bad. Mm -hmm. So I guess you can have... Yeah, but those are those are right up there. My, I've had a couple mid-Asian Ibex hunts that weren't exactly cakewalks. Mm-hmm. You know, probably per day, some of the hardest I've done were some mid-Asian ibex. They're harder than Marco Polo. Really? Yeah, they're they're a little smarter animal, a little trickier. Mar Marco Polo are really spooky, but they tend to be a little bit more, not really more approachable, um, but uh, less less dangerous train. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and how important is it for your clients to be mentally prepared for the grind of a sheep hunt? Like a, a sheep hunt is a grind by nature. It's, oh, it's not grind, fun yeah. all the time. You, you've got to be able to it's hunt a hard and hike hard. It's different levels of fun. So what one person might be considered fun, a lot, a lot of times the wrong attitude is like, oh, how, mu how much further does we have to go? I don't really look at how much further I have to go. I just know when I get there, then I'm hunting. Mm -hmm. So if you're always asking how much further it is, how come we got to climb there if there's no animals up there, you can't have that attitude no. sheep hunting. You have to no. be enthusiastic. Hey, if we get to the top, I can see twice as much or 10 times mm -hmm. more country. And you have to have that positive go forward motion. Mm -hmm. Immerse yourself in the yeah, experience. Yeah, it's just like the same it. reason some guys make the Navy SEALs test and other guys never do, right? They yep. just become soldiers or not become special ops guys because they. They maybe not be, they're not able to handle that day in and day out constant grind. And I don't think it's talent. I, I think it's mental toughness. If you have to be the best, you have to have all. To be to get there, you have to have grind. Mm -hmm. The grinder first. Number two is um, well, number one is mental attitude. Number number two is shooting, and number three is physical. Mm -hmm. yeah. On a, as far as my clients would go, mm -hmm. as long as they get there. But if they miss every time they get there, that's no good either. No. But the yeah, more, yeah, the more right. fit you are, the more time you have to get there. Mm -hmm. I mean, the more time, more opportunities you have to make shots. So let's say if you got one climbing, you better not miss. Mm -hmm. So I have I have a couple sayings in our hunts uh, on my hats that I make: real hunts for real hunters. The next one is leave the badge still at home. I think the third one's going to be don't miss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what is the miss rate? I mean, obviously the conditions, everything's 50 harder. Fifty percent day in and day out. Yeah. On average, yeah. is it really? And, th and this year was probably 60%. Really? 70%, even this year with our guys. So, guys, listen to that. 50-50. Half the guys are going to miss. You're gonna, if you take two shots at an animal, you're going to miss once. Yep, and that's a hunt of a lifetime that they yes. prepared all year for in their shooting. And 50-50. And well, uh, most guys don't prepare all year, trust me. Because really? they prepared all year, wouldn't it be 50-50? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It would be more like 20. Mm -hmm. But it's that extreme, and, and the conditions are that difficult. That, yeah. that's I mean, most guys don't prepare. I mean, they no. make a lot of money. But they don't have a lot of trigger time. And yep. they handle their gun like it's kind of like a blow-up doll or something, you know? Yeah. You know, th th somebody <laughs> just handed them for their prank for their bachelor party. They don't know what to do with it. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's really what it's like. Guys get all nervous. And they can't, is it on safety? Is the turret up? Holy shit, it's candid. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's going to yep. get away. <laughs> yep. And the interesting thing, too, when we got to camp and we were shooting our rifles, checking zero, they're all way off. They were all off. Typically, some, sometimes it depends on, uh, yeah, but most guys uh, are shooting in different positions than they would at home. Uh, but the guns can get off. You never assume anything. Just because the gun's on at home, I don't care what. It'd be like taking a carbureted snowmobile from Cody up to the pass, right? You're going to have to recarb. You're going to have to rejet it. Yeah. And, and the same thing is it, it's not like a, 
electronic fuel injection that you don't have to reject. A, a scope may get knocked off and may not have been set up. It doesn't matter what it did at home. What's it doing now? Right. What is it hitting right. two, four, and 500 yards here? Because that's what you're going to be shooting at. So a lot of hunters say, oh, I don't want to move my scope. No, you got to move your scope. Yeah. If you don't have confidence to move your scope a couple clicks, what the hell are you here for? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That scope has to be perfect here because we can't miss here. Mm-hmm. Yep. So whatever did at home is fine. Today, what is doing here? Like, we're not doing as well. I'm, my heart rate's higher. The gun might not be shooting the same. That's life. The tire pressure is lower in the Jeeps. <laughs> Everything's yeah. different. Yep. Then instead of having 150 horsepower, it has 90 horsepower. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? Instead of shitting twice a day at home, we shit five times a day. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's screwed. Instead of showering once a day, you shower once a week. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Everything yeah, is just more difficult. Plain and simple. I mean, if, if we brush our teeth, it's good, right? There's no ball waxing. There's no, <laughs> you know, there's no other stuff going on out here. If I can brush my teeth and have a clean ass, I'm happy. <laughs> Life is good. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Uh, guys do get caught in that headspace with not wanting to move their rifle, right? Even though they're in those conditions and oh, yeah. their rifle's doing this thing right there, right then, they have a hard time moving it or clicking it. Uh-huh. It's like a mental block. Where it's moving. If you're hitting the center oh, in yeah. this spot, this is where you need to shoot. And some good. guys bring turrets and haven't they haven't been proven and so generally if you have it let's say if you have a turret from gunworks the best of the west or you know a night forest turret or a Swarovski turret and it's and it's tuned well and it's a it's a 5,000 foot turret and they make one that corrects for elevation and temperatures and the, the and the 5,000 one was good at home it's probably you know and you look at it it's going to be as you get farther out it's going to be more clicks that are mm-hmm. off but it should be pretty close. I mean, if you have a proven load that you just change, or if you have some of the new range finders, some of the guys are using the SIG, some of the guys use the Leica, uh, that gives you your ballistics and your um, uh, based on your current elevation and temperature there. That d- and with an MOA turret, mm-hmm. that's also fine. You just got to check it. Um, but I always have t- I always have a backup. I don't rely just on one system, because if your range finder quits and everything is electronic and you have an MOA turret and you don't have a chart, you don't know what to turn it to. You don't know if it's three, four, or five, or six MOAs. Mm-hmm. Or you have two. You need two range finders. Mm-hmm. I pack an extra scope if I'm going on a trip. Now in this camp, we had the camp has a couple guns. We had extra guns. So, but if let's say if you're going by yourself in a foreign country and they don't have an extra gun, you better take an extra scope because if you're going to take a header sometime, it's going to be the scope that's going to break. Rarely you're going to break your stock and your rifle. So I always take backup stuff. A backup yeah. scope, mount it up. Yeah, and then you get a go. thirty to fifty thousand dollar hunt, and the and the scope breaks. You know, your turret's not adjusting right because of the internal mechanisms not handling mm-hmm. it. So what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you like the turrets? Because they change all. Well, you they said don't change that much. They if don't. You, okay. If you, if you get one set up for, say, 10, uh, we, we, you know, there we, we have 14, 15,000 foot turret. You're not going to shoot a sheet below 14. You're not going to shoot one above 16.5. Okay. And that's fine. And you're not going to really shoot over 650. Mm-hmm. And if you actually take a turret and just, just take a ballistic program, it's really simple. Put zero, zero in, 5,000 feet, 10,000 feet, 15,000 feet, and run it out to 1,000 yards and start changing the parameters. This actually doesn't change as much as people think. Okay. The wind drift is actually what changes yep. the most. Oh, yep. man. Oh, yep. the wind yeah. drift changes up there. Yeah, so you about half the wind drift at 15,000 feet as you do at sea level. Wow, I didn't know that. So if you're blowing 20 inches at sea level, uh, up there you'd be blowing about 10. Wow. Huh. Just changes with the altitude. Yeah, because the air is a lot dense, so the wind drift is not. The wind's not going to affect the bullet as wow, much. Wow, I wouldn't even think of that. It's yeah, not that's pu- so when it's pushing, it's like lighter. Yeah, it makes It'd be sense. like think about a hundred hundred pound female pushing you versus guy pushing you, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and then put Mike behind guy and push you. <laughs> right, the same. Yeah, it's, it's really that's what it is. It's to think the air weighs a lot less, so when it's pushing against the bullet, it's not blowing it as much. Oh, yep. That makes sense. Yep. So, but yeah. the bullet's still dropping. Of course, but it's dropping not as fast. Mm-hmm. But it's going. It, but the wind drift is much more of a change than the the bullet drop. Mm-hmm. You could almost use the same turret out to four or five hundred yards at five thousand or fifteen thousand. Only be a couple clicks off. Now, like Perry's gun, when we we're shooting at seven eight hundred yards, at six hundred yards we had to take off three clicks. And I think at six fifty five, I mean four, and at seven hundred uh, five. And but he had like a zero elevation turret instead of fifteen thousand feet, yep. which was a mistake. Yep. But yep. out to five hundred, didn't have to really change much. Yep. Mm-hmm. But then when he was trying to shoot more than that, that's when when you're starting to shoot 700, you have to know. Yep. You know. Yep. But I mean, he made it. He got it done. But it was past 500. If you don't have some type of correction, it starts to get off a little bit. Oh, gotcha. It's got to yep. get inside guys' heads too when they show up, and it's not shooting quite right. It does. But yeah, if yeah. you know what you're doing and have enough experience with it, you can yep. you can play with it. But that's again a guy who doesn't know his gun well. Yep. There you go. I yep. mean, if you don't know your gun well and you go on a hunt like this, that's shame on you, right? Yep. 
I mean, unless you bring somebody along that knows what they're doing, because you're responsible for the gun. Surely the Kyrgyz or Tajik guide's not going to be able to fix your gun. No, you better know it inside and out. Yeah, and be able to fix it if it's not working well. Spend time with it. It's everything, because if you miss, what do you do? Oh, yeah. You know, and and, and sometimes it's, it's human error. Sometimes it's the wind. Sometimes it's the animal takes a step when it shouldn't have. But, but if it's a gun, because you don't have it adjusted right or the trigger is too stiff or you didn't degrease it and the firing pin is frozen, that's not cool. Mm-hmm. That's yep. preventable. Yep. Right? 50-50 miss ratio. In um, general, yeah. You've got some guys that get down in camp at night that you got to get back motivated to they get do. back up and um, chase those things around. It, it can happen. Most guys are pretty good about it. Are they it. good? Most guys are pretty good. Yeah. That's the um, attitude you got to I probably have. would take it worse myself than most people. Really? I, I don't like missing if it's a big animal. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny if you miss a hard shot, but not if it's a serious shot. Mm-hmm. That's how you get to be a good shot. People have said, I've never missed. I've never pushed themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. If you've never fallen down trying to dunk a basketball, you probably didn't You didn't try enough times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The guys th- uh, say that you also think it's funny the sketchier the situation gets. <laughs> the, well, I think when people are... <laughs> <laughs> the more f- the, yeah, the, the more suffering, the more fun it is. It is. It is funny. I'm starting giggling. It's because I know... <laughs> it is. It's kind of like a, what do you call it, sadomasochistic, you know, um, when you... You're laughing at somebody else's. Uh, if you don't laugh, though, then pe- it, it try it try it breaks the ice a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, some people might get mad at you laughing at them, but if you do it in good fun, it's different, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You're not really trying to make fun of them. You're trying no. to make fun of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not going to bust somebody's ass if they have a legitimate miss. It's you know that's I'm not going to because that's it's hard on a guy. Yep. And a lot of times the miss is not really it really was not it was not so much human error as just. Oh, oh, that happens. But I'd say half the misses are totally because of, uh, you know, screwing the pooch. I mean, it was bad judgment, bad, you know, bad trigger pull, canting the gun, um, you know, rushing the shot, mm-hmm. shooting at the wrong animal. There's a lot of things I've seen. But um, I'd say half the shot misses are ones that are a third of them are ones that most people would miss. Mm-hmm. And then you have a third that 100% like you should never miss that. Mm -hmm. And a third are just difficult shots that a really good shooter will make, but an inexperienced shooter won't make. That makes sense. Well, the shooting positions have to be uh, really tough and a high degree of difficulty. Not really, because you're laying prone. Like in in Guy's situation, for example, we had to shoot sitting up. Mm -hmm. So you have to to improvise sometimes quickly. Yep. The, The more likely you can get prone... And we are shooting straight across, the easier it is. But shooting uphill prone is tough, and shooting really steep downhill prone is hard. Okay. Yep. So yep. the more you can shoot across a flats is easy. But when you start shooting across a canyon, the wind can change a lot. So the further the distance, the more variation you have in the wind drift, the more, more air you can have. Mm-hmm. So the further you push that range out, the more everything has to be. You have to have that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it sounds But like most people don't have a good connection with their gun. They're not. It's like a guy who gets in a strange car. And instead of an automatic, he's got a five-speed, mm-hmm. right? Instead of, a, instead of an e-brake, he's got a foot brake. Mm-hmm. Yep. Instead of a quick turn, he's got a slow, you know? Mm-hmm. And then instead of big mirrors, he's got small mirrors. And you've got to adjust and understand what kind of car you're driving. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to you know, get in a wreck. Yeah, I understand it completely. Just yeah. an intimate re- relationship with my bow constantly because Same I thing. hate to miss. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I have a saying with rifles that you should know your rifle like you do your dick. I mean, it sounds bad, but you need to know it that well. You need to know if you're going to zip your fly up, is it going to get caught and get the skin? No, you know? Do, do, you, you know? do you have morning wood? Did you shake it three times or four times? You only shake it three times, you put it back in, you're going to have a wet spot. I mean, it should be like that. You need to, you know, you need to really know. Uh-huh. You know, and you need to be able to control it in the heat of the moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the heat of the moment. Brian has an analogy for every situation, I swear. But it is so true, though. You can see people that yeah. just literally shit the bed with their gun. <laughs> they don't know what power it's on. They don't know if yeah. the turret's got yeah. fixed. They forget to flip out their level or look at their level. They forget if there's three in the magazine or two or if there's one in the chamber. Is the safety on? Mm. You know, is, a, is the bipod tightened on properly? Where's their extra ammo at? You know, you got to know where all that stuff is all the time. Devil's in the details. It is. And if you don't have that experience of playing with your gun at home and shooting it, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Getting into your shooting Guys will buy a brand new gun, order it, gets there, and they shoot it like half a box of shells from the bench, and then it's good enough for hunting. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Ferrari's really good, but if you don't know how to drive it, it's you know, it's not a hundred. Yeah. It's not. It's a two hundred mile an hour car with a hundred mile an hour, eighty mile an hour driver. Mm-hmm. So that's yep. what you have. You have thousand yard guns in a perfect condition with a three hundred yard shooter. Mm-hmm. And a good day, they might get lucky at five or six hundred. 
Mm -hmm. But if you can master that four to 600 range in a normal condition, that's yep. perfect. Okay. More than that, first shot kills. Like I, in 700, it's 800 yards. If you have no wind and a really calm time and the animals aren't seeing you, you might be able to make it a lot of the time. But like 1,000-yard first shot kills are very, very impossible. And if you, even if you try and walk it into a Marco Polo, like a moose or elk, let's say he stands over here and you shoot a stone uh, 50 yards away, and they just kind of look around. Marco Polo will not look around. You shoot at a stone 200 yards away, things on, uh, like you might light his ass on fire with you know, gone. gasoline, yeah. he's gone. Mm -hmm. So that first shot has to count. Okay. And that's where you, ha and, and a lot of times you have to do a quick follow-up shot. Maybe you hit him in the guts. Maybe you hit him too far forward and break his shoulder. So you need a quick follow-up shot. Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to track him and get another shot in. Now, if you hit him perfect, they'll, they'll still run usually 100 yards and die. Really? But Tough like animal. the Rams we shot, they both ran out of sight. You, know, you think you hit them, but then they, you know, where they easily shoot the wrong, you can shoot another animal because it doesn't even look like they're hit. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. If you look at the footage on both those, if, you, if you're just looking through a binocular, you wouldn't know that you for sure hit them other than you think the shot's good. Yeah, they like, I know it. when I pull the trigger, though, usually if the shot's do good. Do you? Usually. Yep. 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 I do with my bow, too. Yeah, you know. Um, but you don't it, – it's, it's – uh, yeah, you got to make sure. That's why it's nice to have a spotter there. Yeah. But a lot of times you go to Asia, you don't have a guy like me all the time with you. Mm -hmm. Or Dan on the camera, you can go back and really play it. So it's, it's you. And that's why there's a lot of mistakes. Yep. Okay. A lot of guys that go on these hunts that can afford it aren't do-it-yourself hunters as much, and they're used to having somebody help them. Mm -hmm. and at one, most of the guys at one point never had that, that summer where they killed everything that moved, mm -hmm. you know, the ATM summers, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. And if you have a bunch of those summers when you're a kid and a teenager, it's a lot easier when you grab a gun to be familiar with it. Mm -hmm. If you've never had that, if, you're, if your shooting is only at the range on trophy hunts, and you shoot 10, 20 rounds a year in animals versus a kid who shoots 100 gophers and 10 coyotes a year, those guys is a big difference. Mm. Yep. Experience is the best teacher. Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah. We'll drive, the, the farm kids that always have a car, gun in their car and shoot every day, they get this, like I said, that's when I said the gun becomes like part of your body. Second nature. Exactly. Yep. 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 Don't yep. even got to think about it. So when, it, when it becomes part of your body, then, then you can adapt more quickly. So if I give you a different gun, you, 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 if I give you a different gun, you never shot it, go play with it for a few hours. Dry fire, work the bolt, mm -hmm. make sure everything's set up. Even if I get a gun I have to borrow, I might even readjust the scope so it doesn't scope me. If it's, or if the, gun, if the scope is canned, I'll fix that yep. so the gun fits me perfect. Oh, wow. Well. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it makes sense. Yep. Yeah, it yeah, all comes to down to making a make shot. Make sure everything's tight. Make sure all the screws are tight. Mm -hmm. uh, make sure the scope mounts are tight. Make sure the sling is tight so that the sling doesn't fall off. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of things you have to do. You Mark don't want to be riding a horse in Kyrgyzstan, bouncy, 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 and the gun falls off and lands on his barrel, oh. you know, crossing a creek and smashes the scope. So yep. all these things you got to think about. I, n I don't assume anything. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, and if you don't assume anything, it usually works out. Yep. But you still got to – hunting is hunting. Sometimes shit hits a fan and you don't get the shot off. Yep. But when, it, when an animal gives you a nice presentation and gives you a reasonable amount of time, you have to be able to make that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So t tell me real quick, Brian, before we wrap up. For, say, an average guy that is looking for a mountain adventure in Asia, what's an affordable hunt that you would recommend to somebody with? Well, Mid-Asian Ibex mm -hmm. um, in Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan. If you want to add another species, you can add a, a stag, which is a European elk, in either Kazakhstan or Mongolia. If you're a guy that's a little bit not as fit, you can do a, uh, Mongolian hunts mm -hmm. for the Ibex, much lower elevation. If you're a guy who doesn't, not as scared of heights, a tour hunt, you know, those are yep. about ten grand each. You can do the, the tour combo in Russia that are about 20,000. Snow sheep hunts in Russia, which are great. They're in the low 20s. Blue sheep, again, in the low 20s. Even the Marco Polo um, in, in Kyrgyzstan, which is a Humi Argali, that's 30 to 35,000 for the combo hunt. For the, compared to a North American sheep, it's pretty cheap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so they're great. And if guys want to get into sheep hunting and they don't want to travel abroad, then, you know, Odd like in New Mexico and Texas, free range, those are great hunts. But in Asia... Uh, the, yeah, the mid-Asian Ibex and the tour. And if you're a, more of a gentleman's hunter, want to take the wife or girlfriend or just don't know what you're going to be like, go hunt a, uh, an Ibex in Spain first. Okay. Uh, yeah. But don't go to, the, like, the really easy area. Say I'm on a little bit harder area, and, and then it's a good break-in. Or chamois. Chamois are yeah. in a lot of the European countries, Romania. Those are cheap. Those are four to 6,000. Okay. You can do the cham the best, one of the best hunts ever, New Zealand, chamois and tar, free range in New Zealand. I'm headed in there Zealand. in April. Yep. Yeah, and if you want to hunt the east side, you don't even need a chopper. You just hike up on some of the private land or in the public land and go hunting. But there's not good tar hunt. There's not good chamois hunting to be on the east side. You go to the west side if you want the combo. Okay. I just tell a guy, go hunt two tar, get mm -hmm. some trigger time in, go, you know, go to Africa, do management hunting. 
um, on South Africa and Namibia and get some Plains game shooting in and uh, cheap. Those are all things you can do to get better shooting. Mm -hmm. Go shoot coyote, you know, go shoot coyotes and mm -hmm. go go prairie dog hunting in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And don't you don't shoot off a bench. Walk around and shoot with your, your, your shoot a few rounds either seven mil or three hundred and but don't shoot your barrel out. Mm -hmm. You know, have a two two three or twenty two two fifty or something for the other stuff. But all that stuff is good to get you used to these uh, higher end hunts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Central Asia is great. Um, much cheaper, much better value than, than North America. Mm -hmm. yep. And yep. it's relatively safe. Every, what everybody worries about is the safety. What everybody should worry about is that they take some medicines, that they take some extra gear, that they know how to shoot their gun, mm -hmm. that they're mentally tough and fit. All the stuff they think was going to happen never happens. Mm -hmm. And the stuff that they don't worry about is what always happens. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It is, huh? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, wild. Well, uh, where can guys get a hold of you at? It's AsianMountain.com. AsianMountainOutfitters.com and, and and the website is always being updated and so I haven't done anything for a few months but mm -hmm. on there there's a bunch there's over 30 YouTube videos mm -hmm. Dan, oh, cool. Dan made a couple for us um, you know like three minute promo videos we got some TV oh, right shows on, on there mm -hmm. I think when soon we can hopefully put the one once you guys have ran it through the system we can put that on there as a link yep. on the YouTube or yep. share it yeah the, so the guys Marco Polo hunt exactly. and yeah. your Marco Polo hunt yep. right yep. yeah it was, a two, it was a two part series and we got both of them on there I mean, when I went over there, I never knew I was going to shoot a Marco Polo on that hunt. It just worked out. One of the hunters um, didn't use one of didn't use his tag, and so we had a tag. And um, guy was nice enough and said, "Hey, Brian, why don't you shoot that one?" You know, you know, he had a chance at it. and was a tough shot, and we chased it for a bunch more days and saw a bunch of good ones, and it worked out well. So I mean, yeah, I, I can't thank Guy enough for being a, you know a good client and a friend and everything on that hunt. Mm -hmm. How cool. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, we sure appreciate you taking time to oh, be on you. the podcast yeah. with us. Yeah, it, it's so intriguing because it's so different than my world to just to be able to hear about it and, and hear you talk about it, mm -hmm. especially with all your experience doing it. So we and really appreciate it. what is your world? It. My world, um, North America. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm into <laughs> adventures, but um, uh, blue-collar adventures. Not Mars, though. <laughs> no, I, thought, not I thought you were talking like Mars or Uranus. <laughs> 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 but, but North America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah thanks again, it. Brian. We appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, appreciate Brian. It. You're Pleasure. Welcome. You're welcome. All right, guys. So, um, like I say, not the most PC recording, but uh, entertaining. Uh, Brian Martin, that guy's just a character. Um, the, the podcast continued even after I I shut it off. He just kept he kept going. You know, he's got uh, uh, he's got a different way to describe everything he talks about. But uh, uh, a great guy and a, a really good mountain hunter. Um, I kept trying to get that out of him on the podcast, but of course, these really good mountain hunters are so humble as well. You know, but yeah, I, I thought there was also some really good information in there about, you know, preparing yourself for these once in a lifetime hunts and really practicing with your rifle or like my case with your bow and just making sure you're absolutely dialed in. It's so important. I've got that bow so dialed right now to fly across planet Earth to New Zealand. Um, I, I just have complete and utter trust in, in my equipment, my bow, um, gosh, all my accessories arrows i just got that thing dialed in if, if that tar holds still he's catching an arrow i mean that thing is just shooting right now so yeah i'm so pumped and joining up with a couple good buddies out there and just um really outside my comfort level and and uh going to the southern alps of new zealand that place just looks beautiful so i'm so pumped for that sponsor for today's show is a is a new one but a good one uh iota scopes and rings um, make sure to check them out. They've also got those custom-made stocks. You know, I love having that bubble on the edge of your scope like that. Um, you, you know, canting, like canting is so important to me because I have a level on my bow that I set with all the axes of my bow, the first, the second, and, um, you know, I set this level dead on because I know if I can't my bow a little bit to the right, my bow shoots to the right. If I can't to the left, it shoots to the left. It's the same thing with a rifle. If you lay down for a lay down rest and can't your rifle, you know, you're, you're going to shoot that shot off. And so, and it's so difficult when you're on hillsides and, and on slopes, you, it's tough to tell what level is. And so I, I think, um, it's such a great thing that IOTA offers that you should definitely check out. Um, 
with that, yeah, uh, make sure to check out those Beyond the Grids, three great episodes that have dropped or are dropping here soon. I got the link to them, so I was able to watch them, but I'm, I'm not sure if they've all released yet or not. But uh, just great episodes, um, really putting out next-level content. So proud to to be part of the Eastman's team and, and be you know one of the guys that's helping produce this content. Gosh, I've learned a lot over the last few years of capturing hunts and which shots you need and 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 then also the editor's style and what they like to put in and what they need to tell the story and uh, just getting better and better at it and um, also a good cameraman helps too I got a a really good cameraman and Logan we work really good together and um, guys tough as nails follows me everywhere I go so um, it's been really fun to put these things together we got that Nevada one coming up. Be on the lookout for that. I haven't heard a release date or anything, but uh, can't wait to see that one on the Outdoor Channel. That's going to be a good one, I believe. And uh, just making plans for this next year, trying to draw some good tags, um, or at least some tags. <laughs> Even give me some mediocre tags. I just have want to have enough tags and enough hunts planned this fall. Planned, planned this fall. Man, I want to go for it. I want to send it. Um, I'm trying to choose as many big wildernesses as I can and uh, just disappear. That that backpack hunting is just the purest form of bow hunting you can do. And I just absolutely love it. And I think that's my biggest advantage, or I know it is. And whether that's diving deep into a wilderness or just finding that remote country without roads that, that takes effort to get into, where there are no shortcuts, you can't ride a motorbike in there, you, you know, whatever the case is, but that's my biggest advantage. And so I'm really trying to plan a lot of those hunts this season. And with that, I'm definitely, um, Nevada in the Southern or Nevada, uh, uh, New Zealand um definitely doing some backpack hunts there um so getting all my stuff together and go uh, live in the southern alps and see if I can't chase down a tar is going to be an absolute riot I cannot wait so I'll record some good podcasts while I'm down there and um also when I get back and and uh, got some good ones lined up and some some great material some great content for you guys gosh we've been putting out some good episodes lately and I I think that's you know, that's how I grow this podcast is just continue to put out uh, relevant, next level information, great content, entertaining. Like that's where my focus is. I just need to keep at it, uh, keep taking notes before these podcasts, asking the right questions, getting the right, the getting the most out of my guests and, and being as good as I can be too. living the bow hunting lifestyle and, and working as hard as I can. And then just sharing my journey with you. It, it's nothing I'm creating or no near new theory that I have. It's, it's this theory of continuing to work hard towards my goals and sharing it with you guys. So yeah, I'm just pumped. It's an awesome platform. Um, I sure love bringing it to you guys and I sure appreciate all the support you guys give me social media, iTunes reviews, they all help me out. Um, so yeah, I just appreciate it. Uh, keep working hard towards your goals guys. And I'll check in with you next week.